Hello and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, poet and playwright, Mark Anthony Rossi. In this, our third year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever-changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. folks and welcome back to strength to be human i'm your i'm your host poet and playwright mark anthony rossi we're doing another wonderful interview segment which i'm always happy about because you know between the scheduling and everything else you know it could be a, a bit of a, a an intimidating terror but other times once it comes together you know it, it, it's a real learning experience for everybody involved including the listeners especially since i actually get more email responses from interviews than i do with my own standalone shows I'm not sure if that's a comment on me or not, but nevertheless, that's yeah. that's how it works. Now we have Jack Henry with us. He's not only a, a, a poet and, and, and a fabulous writer, but he's also the editor of Heroin Love Songs and, and 1870 Press. Jack Henry, thank you very much for for coming on the show this evening. Oh, thank you. I appreciate being invited. Oh yeah, you've had a long invite, and uh, me and Jack, we've had a, a number of months where we just tried to connect, but. You know, between the personal things and, and the schedules and stuff like that, you have to work with people in the end if you want yeah. them on the show. Because not everybody is just suddenly, yo, I'm ready next Thursday. It doesn't really work that way. Yeah. I, I wish. I, I, of all the interviews I've done, and this is on the third year of the show, you know, starting January, I've only had one person out of about like 25 that, that literally said, yeah, I'm, I'm good for two days from now. Everybody else, it's, you know, you have to navigate the, the planet to do it. Yeah. Well, I, I uh, as you know, went through a lot since we first started talking. So with the holidays, I wanted to do it before then. But, you know, now seems to be the time. So I'm here. Yes, I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely excited because oftentimes when I talk with somebody that has the, the real direct relevant experience of being a writer and then also being an editor, Many times they, they choose one or the other, and they're just not interested in talking about both. So I was happy to hear that you didn't mind sort of mixing in both subjects over the show. I mean, you could determine oh, how much no. how much or how little you want to do that, but it's a nice thing because it would be great for here, the, the editors to hear about how, as an editor, let's say, um, you know, the, the writing experience might help shape you how you judge somebody else's writing or maybe vice versa. So, you know, it, it's good if people can hear something about that. Yeah, for sure. Whatever you want to talk about. I can start there if you want. I mean, that's fine. Yeah, that, that, that would be great if okay. you like, yes. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, um, I, I'm the editor of Heroin Love Songs. Uh, that's been around for on and off for about 12 years. Uh, it used to be published on Lulu primarily. Then I was on the online only electronic. And then this last go around, I tried my best to do chapbooks, actually printing them and stapling them, putting them together. That was more arduous and expensive than I expected. So going forward, I may change that around. And then the other one I did, what I'm doing still, is something called 1870 Press. And that came out of a frustration I had with content. Um, a lot of journals, a lot of lit zines, whatever you want to call it, um, were prohibitive sometimes in content, language, style, 
definitions, whatever. And so I just started that one just as, you know, one of those days we have extra time. I started it up, put it out there. I called it 1870 because that's the year that um, Rimbaud went to uh, Fran uh, Paris, France for the first time. And I had just been reading about it that day. And for some reason that stuck with me. And um, so 1870 Press, that's really the only meeting kind of when poetry for me started uh, was that year. So kind of alluding to what you were talking about, what we talked about offline a little bit is um, when you're an editor of a press, especially one that tries to put stuff out daily, weekly, or on a frequent basis, that can really screw with your writing as, as a poet. Uh, because you can get into the zone where you're 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 leeching too much off of what you're reading. Uh, so I have a unique, in my mind, a unique editorial style, where it takes maybe four or five lines in, and I'll know if something works for me, and that's what I do. I I read them really fast. I'll read every poem someone sends to me, usually just the first four or five lines, unless the poem captures me. It carries me through, and that's an automatic acceptance. So I'll read those first few lines. I'll know right away if it fits the tone of what I'm trying to do, especially with heroin love songs. Um, if it's if it's a style that that I want to put in that that edition, then I'll reread it again more fully to get a, a, a broader uh, understanding. And that doesn't usually change my mind. It has a little bit in the past. Uh, but not lately. I've gotten pretty, pretty solid at what I want to see and how I want to see it. I'm not real. I don't get troubled with punctuation. I don't get troubled with grammar. Uh, I work a lot with the the writers that I accept on on uh, changing it or correcting it or whatever. I, especially the last issue I did. Um, out of the 37 poems in there, I probably worked really tightly with probably 30 of those poets getting things dialed in and, and cleaned up. So I, I kind of, if I understand what you're trying to say, then, then I'll accept it. And then I'm very open when it comes to, to content or what you're trying to write about. If it's formal poetry, if it's informal poetry, if whatever, I mean, I, I have an MFA it's entitled only, and it didn't really teach me anything about editing. In fact, when I was in school, I taught a class on public publishing um, it's just cause I was a, I don't know, I guess I was the only one who knew how to do it, but so that was fun, but it, it does become problematic because I'll tell you this, when I'm writing and I'm in the writing zone, I do not want to edit. I do not want to read other people's work and I do not risk being influenced, but I love them both equally. I'll tell you that. I mean, it can get to a point where I'm writing too much and it's like, I'll put it aside and, and I'll put out a call for work, poems, uh, submissions. And I'll just spend a couple months on that, and then I'll come back to the writing. So they're both equal, All I right. guess. Well, thank you very much for sharing that, um, Jack. You're, you're pretty, you're pretty generous, and audience understand that what Jack is describing on trying to work with um, with writers, particularly, you know, if he's trying to iron a few things on a poem where he feels the, the majority of it's worth it, but he has a few things that he wants them to, you know, to correct so that it flows correctly and you know, it makes the statement it wants to make. A lot, a lot of editors won't do that. I mean, I've done it uh, from here and there. Uh, whenever I, I feel it's warranted, 
but it, it's not normally done. Uh, oftentimes, it's right. it's used as a, a vehicle to say, uh, no, you you reject it because you got too many issues. So, uh, right. and and right. and I'm not saying that that's harsh by someone doing that, but I am saying that the editors that are willing to take an extra, you know, time with you or that extra mile. You know, you definitely should be uh, should be glad and, and grateful because it, it's simply not very common. But I happen to like the practice, and I'm not against it, because if you find something worthwhile, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me anyway. Um, I'm going to reject this right. because I hate a piece of punctuation here, or I'm not sure about these three words out of 100, they're going to work. It, it, to me, it, it right. seems a little right. petty, petty then, and we're not really being artistic then. We're just being, you know... Rule followers. What the hell? Being an artist means that you don't really care about too many rules. Right. No, I, I 100% agree with that. I, I uh, on 1870 especially, I get a lot of international submissions. I'm not sure why for that one. I mean, it's it's welcome. It's interesting. I get a lot of uh, Southeast Asia, Africa, Nigerian, South American, all over, and you can tell pretty quickly when they're translating from their native language into English to write. And every now and then that's where I'll find my, my challenges, you know, cause the turn of a phrase will, you know, it may ring true to someone that's just purely translating it. But when you're using your local kind of influences on language, your little dialects, I'll tell you, sometimes it's pretty funny. And, you know, you, you offer the suggestions and, and sometimes they're no, you know, it's a hard no, I'm not going to change it. No, that's fine. Go somewhere else. Um, but most times poets will work with you, especially the international ones. And it's really, it's really funny. Yeah. Uh, we get them uh, here now and then and uh, have the, the same, the same issues. I, I always just remind folks that they, they can't, they can't find the translator to English. Uh, the same one that, that, that they can translate a parking ticket or the back of a margarine bottle. Cre creativity right. in terms of the writing is a much different type of, of translation. It, it, it's more nuanced and it's much harder to do because you, you have a lot of people that submit stuff after they do a, a thorough translation, and it, it, it sounds like Craig and Frankenstein. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's – I don't know. I, I – I haven't looked at 1870 in a while, so I haven't put a call out, but um, I'm a little afraid because I'll start getting more of those those international posts. <laughs> but it, it's all good. I, I love them all. I really do. Um, I don't know. That's it's 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 just part of the process that I enjoy. You know that, and the other thing I like is is formatting a physical document. You know, when I was putting them out on Lulu or or even as a chapbook. Um, you know, creating the right flow, putting the right poets in the right order. Uh, really, I really spent a lot of time on that. Uh, not so much in 1870, because if I accept it, I post it, it's done. But uh, heroin love songs, that's, I don't know, that's kind of been the, the hallmark of that that publication is the ability to, to get things to flow and, and get the right writers in it and, you know, Every now and then, it hasn't happened recently, but every now and then I'll, I'll send a note to someone. I'll say, hey, I need I need some from you because it would fit right here and it would make the whole journal look a lot better and flow really well with your unique vision. And so sometimes I get the opportunity to reach out to some some interesting characters in the world and, and get them to contribute. 
Well, I'm definitely appreciate what you do and and your uh, your thinking and vision behind it. Uh, just for full disclosure, I I got one of my short fiction pieces published in in 1870. I think it was last year. And oh, right. if it wasn't for the fact that um, you really uh, didn't really observe too much about content, uh, I mean, as long as it's something you know ridiculous, um, I don't think it would have been published because it, it's it's harder to get things that are a little bit more. Um, you know, esoteric or just a little bit more, um, I, I guess you could say hard-hitting, and, and it's not so easy. Right. And so I really appreciate what you were doing on that. I also appreciate by the – I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, but I, I cannot tell you how many times I've come across magazines that I, I felt that they rejected my work just because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't gay or I wasn't feminist or I wasn't this or I wasn't that. Oh. You know, and I'm like, right. I, I'm like, I don't, I don't exclude anybody else here. I mean, I don't understand. I mean, unless you're literally saying this magazine is only for feminist women from Albania, or this magazine is only from, you know, for gay guys that that work on construction trucks or something, then I, I got, I, I, right. I have to observe that. But otherwise, I always got that feeling that it's like, really? I mean, so I, I'm glad that you didn't do that. I mean, it, it really means a lot because. I'm I'm all for people uh, publishing all these different viewpoints. It's important to do so, but I don't think it's so important to then knock me out just because, you know, um, I'm not in the minority of that experience. I mean, I, I don't know why, you know, uh, being straight isn't any less relevant than anything else. And sometimes I think right. editors they get a little carried away with that. Well, that, it's interesting you bring that up. There's been, well, let me go back when I first started writing a lot. Um, one of the first books I read was by a poet out of England. Uh, his name's Mark Walton. He doesn't write a lot lately, or at least I haven't seen much from him. But I, I bought his book. It came to me. Um, it, it's definitely from an LGBT perspective. But the thing that struck me in talking to him about it is that he was very emphatic about, you know, labels should not be a part of the process. Now, I do have um, one of those, uh, I guess it's a GIF on the website that says it's open to, you know, gay, transgender, COPAC, BIPOC, whatever, all those different labels. But I learned a long time ago from Mark that labels are just problematic. I know everyone has their banner and everyone has their flag and everyone has their acronym. Um, and that's great. I mean, I think certain groups that have been ignored oppressed, diminished in some way over time. Um, they deserve that kind of respect or that recognition for for whatever group they, they represent. And there's a pride to that. And I understand that. And that's, that's important uh, for those individuals. But to the point where you're ignoring other groups or classes because they don't fit a particular box. You know, if you have a white middle class, middle-aged male that's writing great poetry, there's no reason to exclude that writing from someone that's, you know, a, a bi-feminist lesbian. Oh, well, bi-lesbian doesn't fit, but you know what I'm saying. If yeah. it's someone from a fringe group, you know, good writing is good writing. Now, I would never fill a journal in my mind that was 100% all white middle class writing. I mean, because you don't get enough quality work from any one given group in my mind. It's 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 across the board. So I just I just I'm I try to be open and I literally I 
I think about that. I don't ask anyone to say what your pronoun is. I mean, it's important. I get it. I understand why people are pronoun sensitive, but I don't, I don't mark it up. You know, I don't say they're them or they or he or she. It doesn't matter to me. These are just people writing good stuff that resonates with me. And if no one else reads 1870 or heroin love songs, I don't care because I do those journals for myself. This is what I want to read. This is what I want to see posted. If others want to jump on the bandwagon, that's fine. But if no one else reads it, I don't care. This is an outlet for these poets. They can say, I was published first here, or my latest work is here. And I really encourage, you know, all different groups to, to post and to get published and to submit. Um, because I'm like anyone else, you know, I go out and I submit, you know, I submit between, you know, some months it's maybe five pieces and other months it might be a hundred pieces. And I get rejected probably 90% of the time. And to me, each rejection is an opportunity to become something better. And so I actually kind of look forward to it. You know, if, if I'm rejected, I won't necessarily ask why, because I'll reread something and I'll figure it out. I'll understand. I either didn't understand the guidelines or I didn't read what the journal prints or I didn't do something right or it was just a shitty poem. It doesn't matter. It gives me the opportunity to grow. So I tried to present that. Um, and that's really where my writing and my editing blend is what I consider good work. It has to resonate with me. There's no reading board. There's no other editors. It's just me. It's me and my two journals. And it used to be the radio show that I did with Rob. And we just, you know, it just has to resonate. If the work's good, it's good. There's nothing you can do to, to make it different. It's just because you're, you know, LGBT or, or you're, disabled or whatever i'm not putting down any of those groups but if the work isn't there I, i'm sorry i'm not going to publish it it's just not happening makes it makes sense to me i, I read a couple of those uh issues of uh, 1870 so once i did that i'm like okay this guy really is committed to for this sort of eclectic more diverse vision and i'm okay with that because it means then there's a chance that I might be able to fit in too, and and I and I did, and I was right. I was very happy with that. That's all you you really want to see, because I'm one of those people. If you listen to some of the shows enough, I preach to writers all the time that, you know, there's a portion of the rejection is your responsibility because you didn't do the research right. at all to find out what kind of magazine you're submitting to. I just sent it over. I don't know right. what the hell's going on. Well, there you go. Right. No, you're 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 100 right, and you know it's. One of the things that, that I've discovered, too, with on the writing side is that if if I get accepted somewhere, um, for example, aerial chart, if I get accepted at your journal, you're not going to see me responding or sending something else for six, six months, maybe more, maybe a little less. But generally, I just keep moving around because in my mind, you know, I don't want to get stuck in one groove. I don't want to just assume because then. If you say, oh, this piece is going to fit here or this piece is going to fit there, then you're presuming that you're you're fulfilling something and you're denying yourself what that art is all about. Your art should be just what you write and not for someone or something. You just write it. You express yourself. And, and you know, sometimes sometimes you submit it. Sometimes you don't. I mean, you've seen pieces from from my book that's coming up. 
uh, driving with crazy. Um, a lot of that I would never submit. I know they're good poems. I've had several editors read them, say, these are great. You should submit them somewhere. But I won't because it, it, it will fit a box. It, you know, it'll fit someone's ideal of what, you know, something should be. I don't want to be that. That's that's not who I am. I want you to think, you know, I have no idea what that guy's about. That's I want everyone to say that for the rest of their lives. I still don't know what he's about. And I've known him 25 years. That's to me is what my writing's all about. It's about discovery. It's about being bold. It's about being untethered to any expectations. It's about being as honest as you feel you're capable of being and then pushing yourself even further. And when I read as an editor, that's what I want to see as well. I want someone to write something that they're so afraid of, they wouldn't show it to anyone but me. And then if, you know, and then they, when someone gets something like that accepted, they're terrified to send it to you and you accept it. The feeling that that writer has, I know that as an editor, I, I know what that means because I feel it too. So when I reject someone nine times out of 10, I'll say, you know, it doesn't fit. I'm being very brief. I'm very blunt. And that puts people off. You know, this doesn't fit. This doesn't work can't use this, but every now and then, and it's happening more and more. It's like, I like this. This is good stuff. It doesn't fit what I want. You should try here. And then I'll give them a list of, of journals to, to consider, you know, because just because one person doesn't take your work doesn't mean somebody else will. And I've proven that I've had, I'll give you a short one, a short story. I had a poem I wrote for the book. Um, it was in a different style. It's it's what I call a dularity poem, where you have one side of the poem is very in your face, up front, kind of in the moment. And then the second side of it is abstract, but they tie together. So there's, there's like two columns. And I've written several of those poems. Not everyone gets it. I submitted this one poem called Out to Kill Rabbits. It's, in my opinion, my, my best poem and the poem I love the most, which doesn't mean anything to anyone else but to me. It got rejected probably at least 10 times, 10 plus times. And then I submitted it to um, uh, um, another journal. They, they put it on the short list. You know, like, okay, so I have to wait longer. I hate waiting. <laughs> and then I get noticed back that, you know, they're going to accept it as a featured poem, and I got paid for it. And I've never been paid for a single poem in 19-plus years of submitting to journals. Never once have I been paid for a single poem. I've been paid for groups of poems. I've been paid for journals. I've been paid for um, books, but for a single poem. And it was this poem after 10 rejections, and I, <clears throat> I could not have been – I could not have been happier. It was, and that's what keeps you going. That what's that's what makes you think, okay, I'm going to do that again, and again, and and I hope in my editing, um, I help people with that same kind of thought process. Oh, I got rejected here. Let me keep going. I'll try somewhere else. Well, you know, it it's probably one of the most popular, if not the most popular, uh, subject in writing is is rejection. You know what you do with it. But you don't do with it. I remind a lot of, of a lot of writers because I've had a lot of a lot of jobs in, in in the academic and 
independent uh, press world before I decided just to do my own publications, where I seen clearly that in many instances they 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 worked on slots, and once they finished putting in their friends and relatives and the couple of people yeah. the English chairs that they wanted to get put in from another university, they had like six or seven slots, and there's a good chance that when they sent your your thing back with the form letter. They probably never even got a chance to read it because they really filled in everything they wanted to do. So I, I remind right. I remind a lot of writers that you have to keep in mind that that does happen. I don't saying that happens all the time, but it happens enough in academic press, especially that. Oh, yeah. why, why should you feel terrible about getting this so-called rejection? Because maybe you're not really rejected. My my opinion is if they're not reading your work and judging it, you, you're not rejected. They just put it to the side. Oh, they sent it back. You should come up with a new word because rejection wouldn't be accurate. And why should you go through the dress and the stress and sometimes even the depression that some folks go through? And it's all for for a counterfeit reason. Right. Yeah, that's that's an interesting comment. When I was, quote unquote, in academia, um, they uh, the school I was at asked me to put out their first journal and they wanted to be an academic journal. So I remember going to the dean of the school of the program, the, the guy in charge, and I said, what do you mean by professional and what do you mean by academic? And, you know, there was a lot of conversation about style and, you know, kind of formality and just really it became a burden to even think about the guidelines they would put down. And and then the last comment was is that anyone you should accept should be um, in a program or have a degree or have a certain amount of standing. And then it became obvious that this was a vanity product uh, for this program. And me being me and ultimately rebellious at every turn, um, I, I don't want to use the the language I used then, but uh, I basically said no, uh, and this is why. And they were like, well, no, no, just come on and do it. So I'm like, all right. So I caved because of the moment, because, you know, it's going to look good on my, you know, CV and it'll help me get a job as a teacher. It didn't, but, you know, okay, I'll do it. So I started accepting people that I knew that wrote in a style that I liked. And I put out this journal that was crazy because it was all street poets or people that had very limited education. Or maybe some of them had PhDs, but they wrote in a certain style. I mean, it was all over the place. It was completely insane. And and we put it up, and I think it was up for a month, maybe, before they pulled it. And... Um, they're like, this isn't what we wanted. And I'm like, well, you don't know what you want, to be honest, and I'll never work with this again. So, you know, I'm done. Let me go. And then I decided to start a student journal at the same program. Um, got a little bit of grief, but they let me do it. And we put out another couple of editions that were, they were insane. They were these magnificently huge, huge online postings, you know, 120 poets and, you know, 200 poems over a certain amount of time. And, you know, that, that to me was when I realized that academia really wasn't what I wanted to do. Cause I knew if I got hired anywhere, 
I would be the, the most rebellious anti-establishment instructor they ever had. And, you know, fortunately for academia, the, the economy crashed and I had to go get a real job. And I never made it into teaching, which in retrospect is fine. But, you know, it's just, it's just all part of the thing. You know, academia to me is is there's so many ways to get degrees. The degree is just a piece of paper. Doesn't matter where you're from or where you get it from. It, it's all about you know what you know and what you bring to the table and, and what you can express. And I'll tell you, I've rejected people in 1870 a lot, and because they they always send bios, and I never asked for a bio, but they always send them, and so I'm always suspicious. As soon as I get this bio, oh, PhD, doctor, so and so from you know, X at this university been published in the New Yorker and this and that and the other. That doesn't impress me. I don't care. You know, what I want to know is, is can you write? And and I've rejected people like that. And I know I shocked them because this is a little pissant publication that no one reads, it, you know, a circulation of maybe 100 hits, 200 hits, if I'm lucky. No one reads that. And and they get upset because they're rejected from that. It's insane. Absolutely insane. I've had a few uh, uh, instances just like that, and um, yeah, what I what I told them in a nutshell is, if you're willing to put this bio on, you're saying certain things about yourself. It means that when I judge your work, I have a right to ask for more from it than than the guy down the street, right. you know, who's uh, who's selling some incense, and in between there he's throwing out a couple of street poems, versus you and you're doing right. And then I'm looking at I'm looking at the stuff going really you're hitting on one of your students it's not even real written and this is supposed to be your best work it's ridiculous right right <laughs> I yes the the one I can think of um came, this this oh god I got the submission I read it I I did what I do first few lines I, I was like I was well this is terrible and then I read the um the bio and I'm like okay, it's been accepted by a few journals I'm aware of, you know, this particular poet. I'm like, ah, I'll give it a second shot. Why not? So I read him again, still hated him. Um, and I sent a note back. And unfortunately for this poet, I was in a very bad mood when I sent the note back. And I said, if you don't learn to be honest with what you're writing, you'll never be true to who you are. And, I got a surly email back, which I appreciated, and it started a dialogue. And needless to say, that individual and I um, still on occasion to communicate, and that individual has been in 1870 since. Um, but it was just so presumptuous, the work that I got, you know, that maybe it hits a certain style or formality, but Jesus, I mean, it was so boring and unrealistic and untrue. I, I just, I just didn't like it. Yeah, I've, I've gotten a few like that, and my theory, and I don't know if it's always accurate or not, but I've seen it when I used to work, you know, in academia in publications, is that some people expect a bio that they sent you to carry the day, so they got no problem yeah. sending you whatever because you're supposed to be so impressed with the bio that like, yeah, I gotta have this guy because he's this, that, and whatever. And I'm like, but your work sucks. It, and, and the yeah. more than that. And, and you can get some sucky work that still has some merit to it. But this work, 
sucks yeah. sucks double because it doesn't have any heart or soul. So therefore, right. it doesn't have anything that's living. It's just a bunch of rearranged words about something cute. Who cares? Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's funny. Well, that's supposed to be our job as writers, and sometimes writers forget that. And like God knows, I lecture him on the show a lot. But your job, first and foremost, is you're supposed to be crafting something to help somebody care about something you're writing about, no matter what the hell it is. Right. And if you're not doing that, right. then you're already failing all the way across the board. Right. I agree. I agree. I, th I think uh, at the essence for me, writing, uh, whether it's poetry or creative nonfiction or fiction or whatever, um, I mean, first and foremost, you have to write for yourself. But ultimately, you should have something to say, no matter how slight that may be. Uh, you should have something to say. It doesn't have to be profound. You don't have to change the world. But you should give people pause, like, you know, and have them wag their finger and like, oh, yeah, I relate to that or whatever. And to me, that's that's the ultimate. And the thing to be more honest is that if I get one person that says a positive thing to me about my writing, that keeps me going. And there's been, there's been times where I've gone dry for months on end and nothing's working and it doesn't seem like everything's going on. And you get that one comment, you know, I really like this. I don't know why, but I like this or whatever comment it is. So if you, if you're not bringing something like that, or at least thinking that when you're writing, you're wasting your time. Just stop writing. You should be writing to, to express something emotion, a feeling, a thought, a, a, a truthful statement, whatever, you should be presenting something. And I, I just, I'm so tired of sifting through lollipops and unicorn poems. It's just like, yeah. it, it does, it, you don't impress me. You don't impress me. And, you know, really, you shouldn't try to impress me because that impresses me more. But come on, lollipops and unicorns need to go. And, and it's just... I don't know. It's 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 funny how many people still subscribe to that. Got to follow the the the, the diagram. Got to fill in each box. Got to make sure it it works to whatever criteria. It, it doesn't. Trust me. Well, I, I, definitely... I had a twelve. I, I had a twelve word poem accepted by a very fringy journal. Um, a poem I could never read to family god forbid or really anyone without blushing it's 12 words and the editor came back and it started out as a five-line poem and he came back he goes i like the first two lines but i don't like the last three and he said i'm if you can edit it i'll accept it and you know when i was younger i would have been like you know screw that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that i'm out you didn't accept it the way it is. I'm the writer. You know, I'm always right. But I made the edit. It became a 12-word poem. I accepted it. It's published in April. Um, you know, there's not a lot of people in my mind that are willing to say, hey, edit, you know, most of your poem down to something that makes sense to me. But I guess those two lines spoke to him, and that's what mattered. And then he made it work for him. Good good editors will, will do this. I, I submitted it. Um, a short fiction piece where 
the academic journal actually had a board where they had to review everything, and they came back with the conclusion that I need to beef up the middle of it, and they were still willing to consider it if I did that. So after I did that, they had to reconsider it again, and then they published it. And ironically, when I looked at it, even though I felt comfortable the way I wrote it, I didn't feel offended what they had to say because beefing it up actually made it better. It was still good before, but now it was a lot better after what they had had suggested. So sometimes when editors uh, intervene in that way, we should more than not do our best to listen because they might be seeing or catching something we just didn't originally do. Exactly. When when I went through the editing process on Driving with Crazy, um, they uh, they assigned uh, an editor to me who I, I can't remember if she volunteered or, or I don't know it was Puma Pearl out of New York who I'm very very good friends with uh, sent me a note. She goes, Hey, I'm your editor. And the first thing I thought was, oh, this is bad because I know you <laughs> really well. And every edit you make is going to push a button. And I really don't want to impinge on any our friendship in any way. And so it was funny. The first time she sent me a, a whole list of edits, red lines, I was like, no, I don't like them. <laughs> but I had enough foresight to actually make the changes I put them in a different file, saved it differently. I went back and reread it, and I was like, "Ah, oh, shit, she's right," you know. So after I did that first first couple of pages of, of edits, I was like, I just blindly listened to her, and I would make all the changes and all the changes. Well, the the book is a combination of poetry and, and prose, and essays primarily. I'm not, I would never consider myself an essayist or even a prose writer, but she is, and she read it, and there was one that it was so red, I thought someone had been murdered looking at this thing. It was just, every line was, I'm like, so I called her up. I said, I'm not going to be able to make any of these changes. It's, it's You're just taking away the whole of what I'm trying to say. And she's like, I don't think so. Just put them in and see what you think. So I put them in, still didn't like it. I rewrote the essay. The essay rewrite was terrible after reviewing it with with myself and and her. So I went back and made the changes, and I left it. I'm not going to look at it. I made the changes. I'm not going to read it. And then so when I was doing the copyright version, copy uh, writing, I did the edit, and I'm looking at it, and I'm trying to get out of myself to read it is you know non-subjective as possible or objective as possible and it really fit it really flowed it was really important it was a link between the first half and the second half and it did everything that i had hoped it did but my original right didn't even come close to so i guess the point is is that when when you have an editor whether they're friends or or not oftentimes having other eyes on what you write are extremely important to the whole process, you know, especially when there's a smart ass poet that is also an editor and oftentimes thinks he knows more than he probably does. Um, yeah, that's, it's a humbling experience, but the book is so much better than it ever, ever could have been without an extra set of eyes on it. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, you, you've published three or four poems from that book and, yeah. and without her, it would be nothing. It really wouldn't. Well, I did. I did notice 
uh, there was a distinct change in, the, in that series of works you gave to me compared to stuff in the past. So <clears throat> I wasn't yeah. sure if it was just because of some of your your personal issues and you had some kind of breakthrough or if it was something else. So now, now I know. Well, the, the, the book is, it's funny. The book came out of, um, a conversation I had with, uh, Rob Platt back East. He and Rob and I had a radio show, uh, geez, 10, 11 years ago, Rob and Jack America, which was on blog talk for, uh, I think we did 45, 50 episodes, something like that. And so we've always been tight and I ran into a writer's block that was just beyond. I mean, it was to the point where I, I'm done writing. I just, I can't think of anything original. And he told me that maybe it's time to look at my past. And I'm like, I don't want to look at my past. And he goes, well, then you should look at your past. I'm like, okay. So I, I went back and, you know, just kind of focused on a specific period of my life when I was eight, nine, ten years old. And just out of happenstance, I wrote 15, 20 poems in one sitting about different little points of that time frame, first, second, third grade, and uh, sent them to, to Rob. He looked at me. He, he was very positive. And, and I sent them out to just get published because that's what I do. And they were accepted in a couple of places, and I got nice compliments on them. And they were completely different than what I, I ever wrote. You know, I tend to write very street smart, kind of sarcastic, hard-edged stuff that, that, you know, I don't know where it comes from. It's just, you know, there's a lot of sarcasm, cynicism, all that. But these poems about my childhood came out very optimistic and very um, – bright there was a lot of light to these poems they weren't as dark and foreboding as some of the other stuff so that happened right around the same time that that punk hostage said hey we'd like to publish something of yours and what do you want to do and i thought immediately just do an anthology you know just gather a bunch of stuff that that kind of fit together and i thought no i'm going to do this very specific book this uh this book about not really about my father, but about his mental illness and me growing up with a father that was basically crazy uh, because of bipolarity and, and some other issues. And these poems fit. And then once that idea hit, I wrote the rest of the poems like within two weeks. And it's just, I mean, it came out, there's 40 some odd poems. Some, some stayed in, some didn't. Um, some were heavily edited, some weren't. But you know, now I look at the book and it's like, you know, this. If, if I had, to, if if I could never write again, um, I have this book, and and that's really that could be my end cap immediately for everything I've done writing wise, even publishing wise. I mean, once this comes out, I mean, it's I've had books come out before. I've got two full lengths that have come out in the past. Um, I've been fortunate enough to get a lot of praise for that. But this one means a lot to me. And, you know, probably because it's about my dad to some degree and uh, his his slowly fading. And then when he died in June of, of last year, um, it really became important. And, and the, the only regret I have is that, you know, he didn't really know um, there's a, he, he 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 hasn't really been there, quote unquote, for a couple of years. So he would have known even when I told him. But. 
you know, that book, that book means a lot. And, and I'm very, very hopeful that others will see it and it'll mean something to them because uh, that's important to me at this point. Wow. No, I really appreciate you sharing that. And uh, definitely can tell the, the, the major difference in those uh, those works compared to others. And you're right. There, there was a certain lightness to it or brightness, if you want to call it. But to me, I, I feel it was more just about uh, innocent honesty that you don't always see in writing. And that's what makes it so much special and stronger than, than most of the works I see. Right. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, it was, it, it's, it's, you know, it's funny. I always, I had an instructor that used to say, you know, you should always write something that your grandmother could read. And my, my comment back was, you should always write something that would make your grandmother blush. And um, this is something that my, my grandmother uh, could read. You know, my mom could read. My dad, if he was still with us, could read. Uh, and they would get it, you know. Uh, my parents have seen my writing. Um, they've never shown much interest in it, uh, only because, you know, too much going on. They didn't understand it, whatever, you know, it, which is fine. I never really bring it up. I don't promote it with them. Um, but, you know, I think this, my, this, my mother will really appreciate this one. Well, that's nice. Also, because I don't, I don't use the F word every other line, so she <laughs> probably appreciate that. Yeah, that too. That, that's gonna be a bit, a bit helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That'll so. Definitely get you a, a different audience, and uh, that's really, that's really greater though, because when I, I was speaking to a, a, a French writer a couple months ago, I did a show based around this, and you know, he said, "Listen, it's not that." we're any better artists than Americans. It's just that we're more honest with ourselves and our surroundings than you folks are. You're still having your, right. you have your asses up in Hollywood and in Disneyland. And then you wonder why uh, people don't take your art seriously. And I'm, I'm sure that right. I'm sure he had a point because when you become an editor, you get to see what he's talking about on a regular basis. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, that's a strong statement. And, you know, it's funny to me, a uh, little bit of a sidebar on this, but it's funny to me because right now the most popular poets in the country are writing these horrible, my opinion, but these horrible poems that are on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, I'm sure they're on TikTok or whatever else, but they write these little short, they're just little blurbs about nothing. And because it's the cool thing, you know, they get 8 million likes or they get whatever amount of likes. And they're these, they're just, they're, they're candy cane, you know, expositions of nothingness. It's just, they, 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 it's frustrating to me when you read something like that and it's like, okay, why don't you just hit me over the head with a sledgehammer on something that's so obvious or so, mundane or so whatever i i just and in that but that's i mean that's really what america is it's it's a sound bite it's you know it's whatever is in the moment whatever's quick can i watch the video and laugh is it a cat or a dog or something lame like that you know doing something crazy i mean yeah a certain percentage of life should should have that kind of easy you know relaxing entertainment but you know, the fact that we don't 
read as a country the most important written form of language, which is poetry, which is the entry to all forms of literature. It's the formation and foundation of all creative thought, of all political discourse. It all comes from poetry and a poetic mind and the ability to reason and speak concisely in a way that brings awareness and alertness to everyone around you is is pathetic. It's it's horrible. The fact that you know poetry books don't even register on a bestseller list is sad. And and there's I mean there's literally nothing you can do. You, you if you had a Bukowski out now, whose people still celebrate, people love because you can understand it. It's it's yeah. it's not simple, but it's it's close enough to reality that you're like, oh shit, I get this. Yeah, it's blunt, it's, it's blunt like blunt rap honest. music. You know, you know, rappers to me are the poets of modern society. You know, they've basically taken spoken word and turned it into a high art form. And you know, some of them not as much. You know, but. You go back to the old days of like Tupac or Biggie or, or you know whomever. You know this is poetry. This is this is a spoken form. And I always had high hopes that when social media came around. In fact, my senior thesis in my master's program was about um, online poetry specific to MySpace. And I I I just hoped and prayed that this would be a bigger thing. And it never, it never materialized. It just, it just didn't. Um, the moment came and went, and you know, poetry outlets now are, are, are challenging. You know, you have all the online zines, and you know, I, I have my two, you have yours, and you know, other people have them, and then you have the ones that will publish anything that gets presented to them. And it's like, you know, there's got to be some kind of content control. And, and there's not, and there's no editorial control, and there's no deeper thought to presentation on on the page, and, and things like that. And it's just, it really bothers me. And you know, when it gets to me too much, that's when you see my journals go on hiatus for a year or two. <laughs> and then when I'm hopeful, I'm like, I come back, and it's like, all right, screw it, let's just do our thing and and see what we can do. Well, I I but, remind other editors that they they need to keep in. And focus that if they're telling a writer in particular, you know, um, you need to really figure out who you are to get the best work out. Right. They also have to take right. the, the same message as an editor for their magazine. The magazine needs to have an idea who the hell it is. And oftentimes right. when you see these guidelines that are like three lines long, and most of them has to do with, you know, what type of uh, – a program you can send the you know, the the work by email by that's not a guideline right. that's just some right. technical googly gop. I, I put a very extensive right. guidelines in there because I have an idea what the hell we want. Right, right. There's there's I understand here you found the perfect conundrum that I go through as an individual writing and editing. I read guidelines. There was a journal I can't remember what it was called. I probably shouldn't say who it is, but. They wanted the poetry had to be submitted on a certain version of Word. Okay, that's fine. But then you had to have a certain font, a certain font size. You couldn't have line breaks or not line breaks, but like um, different kinds of indentations or now I'm not big into that, so that didn't bother me. 
the line length was limited to like 30 lines, which I get. That's the format. It couldn't be more than 50 characters long. Again, the format. And I'm like, holy God. I mean, this is insane. And now it, it went from there. It went all the way down the page. And I was oh, like, yeah. good God. I, I cannot subscribe to this. Um, because, you know, because in the beginning, when I, the very, very first issue of, of Heroin Love Songs, the only guideline, well, there are two. One, you had to send it to a specific email address. So I don't know if that's a guideline, but it was there. And the second line was, don't suck. That was it. Just and and it, people just could not cope with that. They didn't know if they should send a bio, should they not send a bio? Should I send five poems? Should they send one? Should I attach it? Should I embed it? I mean, and the amount of questions I got compared to the amount of submissions I got were inversely weighted. I should have gotten way more publication submissions than I did questions. I mean, it's pretty simple. Don't suck. Just send whatever, however you want, to this email address. That's it. Don't suck. Hmm. And I unfortunately had to come up with guidelines, you know. And now I think I think mine are pretty extensive, unfortunately. But the key one is that if you don't read the guidelines, and I will know that you didn't read the guidelines, I will delete your submission without comment. And that's... I'll tell you, Mark, that was freedom in itself right there. Because yeah, I get I get something that's attached, the guidelines are in bed, delete. I'm not going to mess with it. I get too many submissions. I mean, it's unfair. Sometimes I send a note back. I don't know. But, you know, you got to follow them. Otherwise, it's going to be a problem. Well, I've been fortunate to have a, a bit of a staff, you know, a volunteer that, that helped me out on all kinds of levels. Uh, but we uh, we made it a point since I saw this magazine. The first thing I wanted to do was make sure that everybody that rejects anybody ha- has to comment. So we don't use any. Uh, yeah. We don't use any of these uh, these soulless you know form letters and you know if you didn't follow the guidelines, I'll literally reply you back. This is not according to our guidelines. Would you go read them, please? I won't tell them what it is because that's their job. You know, but I I think it's important right. as editors that we form some sort of definition about what we want and who we are, where we're trying to go to, because at least that helps yeah. a, 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 the writer on the other end make a decision on whether they even want to try to attempt to send anything to us. Right, right. Yeah, and that's, and that's you know, you just defined exactly what happened to me when issue two came out, and I actually put guidelines in. And it made my life a lot easier because <laughs> I was being a, you know, I was a punk. I was being flip. I was like, I'll just put this out and screw it, see what people think. It didn't work, and, you know. So then when you dial it in a little bit, it gets better. Um, I still, to this day, 12 years later, have not found the happy medium, um, which is probably why my guidelines change every issue. And that, but, that's okay, too. Uh-huh. I mean, at least you're continuing to trying to evolve and trying to look at it again. You know, to see where where right. the place you want to go to, you know, versus people that. Right. I mean, I've seen guidelines that five five sentences, and three of them had to do with uh, font, size, uh, and and the email. This is not guidelines. That's yeah. a technical crap. That has nothing yeah. to do with what you're trying to send. I mean, where's the comment about? Right. I don't want any genre work. Don't send me some crap about Batman or Superman. I mean, something like that. I want I want literary fiction. I don't want I don't want aliens running around on the damn you know email here. 
something like that. I mean, something right. that makes sense to people because folks then have a right to do whatever they want. Yeah, here, here, here goes my uh, my alien poem because it doesn't say anything in your guidelines that you don't want that. Right. Even though I don't want it. That's funny. That's that's. I don't have much to add to that, but yeah, that's that's true. I mean, you got to have a, a perspective, I suppose, and. You know, interesting, now that I think about it, you know, because of my my conundrum with guidelines, I, I'm seriously considering making lo- heroin love songs invite only. Um, I know that kind of makes it a little more static and a little more, um, I don't know, insular, I suppose. But I'm not afraid to ask people I don't know to send me something. And uh, I know a couple of people that do that, and it, it, it makes it easier on them. But the downside is that, you know, if you like a certain style of writing, you end up getting 25 poems that are pretty much the same kind of poem. And, and that's really not what I want to do. But I'll figure it out. I got submissions are open now, and I think people are sending. I try not to check my email until I close, which is usually a month later. But, yeah, I guess – I drifted into something there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's a it's an ongoing discussion with a lot of editors that I have that you know they're they're struggling to find what the best thing is for them. You know, there's a few right. there's a few that they've solved it by making like every other episode of the, of their uh, magazine a theme one. So you know, on on, Mar- right. on March it's you know purple sunsets, and then you know April it's a uh, you know, aliens, and then, you know, May, uh, we're talking about flowers. And, that, and that's fine, too, if, yeah. if they want to feel that that's a good idea, because at least it does, for a temporary way, anyway, give some de- sort of definition. But it's still better than just having all that blasé technical stuff. Because right. it, to me, it, it doesn't sound very literary. It just sounds like, you know, you haven't decided where you want to go, but somehow I'm supposed to trust you. Right. Yeah, I... I... I toyed with the theme idea for a while, and I just I, I just can't do it. I just that's nothing I want to do. Yeah, I, I, I I've I, dealt with I, it already. Not 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 an aerial chart because yeah, I'm against it, but I used to I used to be the assistant editor to a publication. That's all they did was themes. And through about right. a year and a half with them, I wanted to scream and throw everything out the window. So I just tried to wrap right. up that last issue, and I said I'm gone. I can't do this theme crap anymore. You know the tough guy right. theme, the pretty girl theme, the uh, the knights in white satin theme. It's just getting ridiculous, and I, I and it's very hard to write things to the theme when, it, oh, when it's what? so weird. And then of course, how are you gonna know that a lot of these writers out there happen to have a poem in their inventory that even fits this crazy ass theme you just gave them? It, it just it was just too right. It was just too damn weird. Yeah, I I um. There was a call. For, I, I, I'm an admin on a literary magazine group on Facebook because um, they needed some help getting started. And there was a, a journal that had a call for – I can't remember what, what the topic was. But it was so vague that I, I had to ask. I'm like, what does that – What was, it was like um, – it was like the theme was sunlight or <laughs> – Something like that. It was like it was something ran. I think it was. I think it was sunlight, and that was the theme. And I'm like, what does that mean? And the comment back was like, we want the poet to explore what it means to them. 
I'm like, uh, that doesn't help me. You know, I mean, literally, are we talking about sunlight? Are we talking about the theme of sunlight? I mean, I was, I was overthinking it big time, obviously. But I, I mean, that just goes to the point. I, I, I can't do, you know, I can't do theme. I probably couldn't even think of a good theme to, to come up with. Um, so I'll never, never, ever do that. But the one thing I do like, and I just started doing it myself, is a journal um, limits their po poems to five lines. And the five lines could be, you know, it could be like a five sentences and, or it could be five words. And for some reason that sparked me and I probably wrote, I mean, they're not all good, obviously, but I probably wrote close to 30 poems after seeing that call for submissions. And, um, because five lines, I mean, it's, if you're trying to express yourself in a, you know, kind of a poetic way, that's pretty brief. And that kind of brevity really was an inspiration. So I may, I may keep doing that. I may actually put that call out. Not five lines, that's too short, but 12 lines or well, 15 lines. I, I, I think when people tinker around with various forms, they, they are creating, yeah. they're creating a, a new path for people to be creative. When they're doing the theme, right. when they're doing the themes, in many ways, the themes is anti-creative. Because the truth is, if, yeah. if you were to like do a poll of 100% of the people that submitted to that theme, you're going to find like 9 out of 10 people didn't have crap that was close to it already, so they had to go around and build a new poem for it. Is that really right. spurring the creativity, or are they just simply studying for a test that they know the theme of it is, <laughs> almost like you know the SATs or something? Is that really gaining intelligence, or is that just a bunch of bullshit memorization? We don't really know, yeah, but you I, have to wonder. Yeah, that, that goes towards my thought process that um, writing and editing is that I don't want to write for the box. I want the box to be written for me. So I don't, I don't want to, you know, I could never do someone's theme because I'm writing to your expectations. I want to write to my own expectations and have them become yours. I think that's to me is a bigger challenge. You know, if, if I can become that kind of poet, that's like, Oh, I, I like that's a Jack Henry poem. I mean, that that to me would be the ultimate. But also, I would never want to be simply defined as, as writing a Jack Henry poet poem, you know, which is a big reason I wrote Driving with Crazy. I don't want to be circled into any kind of specific school or, or thought or, or, or idea. But it's a powerful, powerful pull to... To have someone read something without a title and say, hey, that's a Jack Henry poem. That, that to me, is exciting, but it's also terrifying because <laughs> then you're pigeonholed. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you want a certain amount of success, but you don't want to be successful. That, that's you know? why I have some editors, they tell me, well, Mark, I don't want to have too many guidelines because then I'm creating a characterization. And if I'm creating a characterization, I'm going to get pigeonholed and I'm going to have everybody send everything for that particular thing. I'm like, right. I'm like, I'm right. not saying that's not a valid complaint, but you're going to have to mess around with it a bit and find where the happy medium is or maybe do what you do. Change it up every time you have a new issue that you want to come out. Nothing's wrong with that either, but it, it, it can't yeah. it can't be something small and vague because it's simply 
I don't I don't really think it encourages creativity. It just encourages people to scratch their head. You're gonna have a lot of good writers that might pass you over. You know how many magazines I pass over because they think the guidelines suck? I'm like, I don't even waste my time with this crap. I go with somebody else that makes more sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, I percent agree. And and what I do, um this is a habit I got into years ago, but every Saturday, uh Duotrope sends out uh their listing of new um new outlets. And so I'll spend a, you know, sometimes an hour, sometimes 15 minutes and I'll go to all these brand new presses, quote unquote presses. And I'll read their guidelines um, immediately, even if they're fledgling and they, they've never put out an issue and, you know, God love them. You read some of them and you look at it and it's like, if this is a cookie cutter or this is someone in an MFA program that thinks they need to have a journal for their CV, or this is some kind of, a play that just why are you wasting time on doing this? You know, cause I mean, think about it. You do, you do a poetry journal. I mean, and, and you publish it and you put it out and you put in the hours and you put in the time and you put in all this effort. It really should be for you and not for the box. It shouldn't be because it looks good on, on your, your CV or it looks good to a professor or, or, it's the hip thing to do. You should really be into it. Um, it should just be a, a, a passion play that that you go for and, and you just you just can't give up. You know, I mean, I've tried to quit heroin love songs almost like it's a drug. And I just I'll wake up. And I'm like, oh, got to do it. Got to do another edition. Got to do. I've only done 10 editions in, in 12 years. So if it tells you how often I get around to it. Um but I spent, you know, in the last one, I spent three months on it, you know, and not just a few minutes here and there. I mean, hours and hours and hours. And, you know, it's, it's a certain kind of insanity or some kind of passion that you do that. And, and I see some of these journals, they put up two issues, they're gone. You know, what's the point? Why, why are you wasting your time? Oh, this is fun for five minutes. Let's do something else. It happens a lot. You know? It happens a lot. You see so many of them, they go. And I happen to think it's because... People are fascinated with the title, and then they forgot there's a whole lot of damn work that has to get done. If you're not willing to do that, yeah. just, just then, then walk away, because there's no point for you being out there. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it, it's gotten so bad with these journals, this experience of book. I screenshot it. Whenever I get accepted, I'll screenshot it. And then um, I'll go back a year, six months, they're gone. You know, it's just like, oh, I don't know, we just didn't want to do it. Or the best ones are, or they accept you, and they say, oh yeah, it'll be out in six weeks, and then you email them in six weeks, and you know the email address is dead or something like that. And it's like, you know, I, I mean, I know they'll come back. Uh, different, you know, all the different journals they keep showing up, they keep disappearing, and they keep showing up, and you know, I kind of like that because it's there's a certain energy to that, but. I kind of hate it too because it makes it struggle for a poet, you know, a writer. You want to get your stuff into a journal, you know, you want to have the ability to come back to that same journal and submit and hopefully get accepted again and and show some growth from what you presented before or some difference or, you know, kind of like what I did with yours. You know, I wanted to present something different and, you know, it. you, you appreciate it enough to put time into it. And, and really that's that's all I need. Someone and, and then and, and and I get a lot of arguments about rejections. I mean, it's like 
you know, they, people get upset about it and circling back to what we started with, um, a rejection to me means that someone took the time to read your work and it didn't fit what they wanted. They didn't reject you. They rejected the piece and doesn't mean that you can send something tomorrow and, and they won't love it. You know, they, they, and, and it becomes a shiny penny and, and then they're very excited. So rejections are very important. Um, even if they're not presented, I've, I've had some rejection letters that are pretty, pretty shocking. Um, but still, I mean, it's, it's, it's all these outlets, all these people that, that put effort into journals and, and spending time. I mean, it's, it's fantastic, but I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's some that just, why are you doing this? Why are you wasting your time? Why are you wasting my time? You know, it's just, some just don't need to be around. No, they, they don't, and I, I think that as editors, we have to take seriously our responsibility that part of the job is to try to help people. Your, your job is supposed to be almost like a partner to the writer. You're not supposed to be some adversarial person right. that beats them up every five minutes. And I don't think a lot of editors right. are ready to do that or even want to do that. And how many times I get complaints from editors, and when I'm talking to them as editors, and they're like, Mark, they just want so much from me. I, why, why should I do? Right. Why should I do any of that? I go. Well, I don't know. Why should a football team have a coach? Uh, all the players, they, right. they know how to play football. So why you don't think? They, well, you still need a coach for advice and, and supervision and guidance and counseling and all of that stuff. So it's no different as an editor. So it's not really a question of uh, you're having to teach them how to write. You're supposed to be able to give them some some notion of, of what's wrong and, and maybe even a, a, a bit of hope. But if you just want to be, yeah. you just want to be some soulless adjudicator. I judge this, you know, with your thumb up or your thumb down. Well, you know, we've had that with, you know, Caesar and everything. We don't really need that as editors. We need, we need to be, right. we need to be better than that. Yeah, it's 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 funny. The rejection I remember most was the rudest one that I received. And even if I wrote the greatest poem in, in the face of the earth, I would never submit to them again because of that response and you know that's a shame because outlets like that uh could potentially provide something more to a poet than than they realize there could be an editor or some other person that reads your work that wants to read more or someone wants to buy your book or, or whatever i mean i'm not saying everything should be marketing but you know you, as an editor going to your point you, you really have to be careful um about how you how you respond, you could quash people's spirits to the point where they quit writing, yeah. and they may be the next big thing. Well, you, know, well, you can really you can really help them too. You know, I, mean, I had somebody well, yeah. last year that they said this is the first time they got published by a publication, and I said, okay, great, don't don't come over to me for a while. Go try to find other places now. Now you got a bit of a, right. a lift, and now you got some work that you put together. They came back to me almost a year later, and they had like ten credits already including mine. So they right. obviously were starting to put things out there and, and, and gain some confidence. And it all started just with one editor saying, I'll take this. This is really worthwhile. Now you need to go out there and, and find some more. Yeah. I had a um, similar a poet that sent me some stuff. I didn't, I, it just, it didn't fit. It, just, it was wrong. Um, the work was fine, but it just didn't fit what I thought the ideal of that particular issue was, but I said to him, I said, look, this, this could be published other places. Um, just not here. I said, when you've written for a year, 
and submit it for a year. Send me something else, and and we'll just, you know, we'll take it one step at a time. They'll guarantee, but send me something else. Wait a year. And a year later, I got a poem, several poems from this individual, and uh, they were fantastic. They had matured to the point where, you know, enough rejection, enough rewrites, enough editorial comment had really pushed what they were saying. And I got a nice compliment. Uh, the guy said that, you know, he appreciated me rejecting him uh, for the reasons I rejected him. And that, you know, that's kind of what keeps you going as an editor. Because it's, I tell you, you know this, we all know this, we don't get paid. <laughs> and it's a lot of time. So it's, it's, the, it's the most enjoyable and frustrating hobby you could have. Um, because it's, I mean, many times... You know, when I'm reading that 30th submission in the same day, it's a thankless job. <laughs> and then you'll find that di- you'll find that diamond, and it's all worthwhile again. Exactly, that's really how it works. Wow, Jack, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and talking about all these things and, and sharing a lot of your experiences, yeah. folks. You got to you got to keep in mind that as many as there are editors out there that might not give you the best shake, you're going to have plenty of other folks that they are trying to do their best. And you have to you have to work with them so that uh, us together, right. you know, as a as a creative team can really help each other to make it a more worthwhile and, and, and rewarding experience because it can be, but like anything else in life, you, you're going to have some folks that, you know, they're not going to make it that way, and you have to still stay the path even with negative and, and unfortunate uh, people out there. We've all known plenty of them, but they're not. They're now all out there. We got a lot of other great folks here, like like Jack Henry, and, and there are plenty of others that that really do uh, great work. He's at 1870 uh, Press. You might want to check him out going going forward. He's really good on on content, meaning that you know you're going to have some some real uh, real hard hitting work there, solid adult work, nothing uh, with you know frogs and you know and, and fairy tales and rainbows flying everywhere. You know, you, you, and, and that's the kind of work that you want, especially in, in a literary way. And I don't think anything's wrong with those subjects. I would like somebody to give right. me a little baby red frog poem that, that has some grit to it. I'd love to take that. I mean, if you want to write about a rainbow, give me something that hasn't been done before in a rainbow. I'll take it seriously. But if you're going to do the same Hallmark right. crap that we've seen before, don't get mad at me. you got to look at yourself, you know? Right, 100%. All right, folks, that, that, that concludes it here with our interview uh, episode. This one with Jack Henry, poet and editor, 1870 and her own love songs. I, I really, really uh, appreciate you coming on board, and it really uh, it lends a lot to this show to have your experience and, and to have your heart and, and soul out there and, and to really speak to uh, what creativity is all about and what many of us are, are striving to do every day and, and sometimes every night. Jack, thank you very much. All right, sir. I appreciate it. Everyone take care. See you all soon. All right. God bless, folks. That's Mark Anthony Rossi here. Strength to be human. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.